0: Comics,
1: movies, music,
0: video games, technology,
1: Blu-ray, television. This
0: is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The move with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Every time Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants away. Get who I
1: was for a half hour or so. It's thirty minutes away. I'll be there in ten. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five minute argument or the full half hour? You have
0: thirty minutes to move your car. Move your car. You have thirty minutes to move your cube. Your cube You are listening to a half hour wasted. We just got a new hamster for the wheel.
1: Welcome to a uh, half hour wasted episode 483. My name is Frank and uh I'm a very good looking man.
2: I'm Brad. Right. I am also a very good looking man. And I'm uh, Bill and I'm I'm, I'm okay. No, nice. you're, be you're worse. A, We are all we're sexy bitches, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, and and some of us are more modest and humble than others and don't want to say that they're better looking than the other two. So we'll you know, we'll all stay on the on the same level and say we're all okay. of equally good um, looking
0: you're, you're you're right. my my modesty prevented me from telling everybody that I'm really, really hot.
1: <laughs>
2: hey. Hey Bill, you're the you're yeah. the hottest 51-year-old I know. 51 or 52? Oh, dude. You just it 52. just you just said 52, didn't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and it feels good. Frank, you're f- are you 51 or 2? I'm 52. Are you I'll be 50 yeah. I'll be 51 uh in June. So. My goodness. You know what? I think we all look really really good for our ages. Yeah, I, I agree with that, you know. And My name is Sally O'Malley. I'm 50 years <laughs> old and I like to kick and stretch and, and kick. Kick. I'm 50. You know, when I was a uh, when I was a,
1: a little kid and it was my dad's birthday and he would tell me, you know, uh Dad, how how, how old are you? And and you know, he'd say he's I'm 55. And I I'd, I'd ask him, "How does it feel to be that old?" And my, I do remember my dad going, you know, I just feel like myself. I don't feel old. I just feel like me and being a little kid that always felt like, how can you not feel like an old man? But now that, you know, I'm 52, I actually understand what he means. You know, I don't think about age at all. Usually I have to think about how old I am. Well, one and, of those, uh,
0: I, I don't, I, I'm well aware that I'm 52 and uh, not getting any younger, um, but it is weird how those uh, perceptions happen. I, to this day, one of those, one of those weird little odd memories that lodge lodged in your head. Uh, I distinctly remember being on the kindergarten on the uh, uh, the recess uh, uh, grounds as a as a uh, first year kindergartner, and I remember looking at the first graders coming out for recess because we were already out there. <laughs> and thinking to myself, dang, those guys are huge! <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, yeah, why why you remember that particular moment, uh, you know, instead of any of the others, uh, you know, good questions. Um, yeah. Someday science will answer these questions, but uh, not today.
2: I remember <laughs> when I was a I freshman looking at the seniors thinking, gosh, they're so big, you know. And then when I became a senior, I was like, do I look the way to my brother's group the way that you know, the seniors looked when I was a freshman? And so, it was, yeah, it's a strange Thing you said some about your body and your mind. Remember that old song. I don't honestly don't remember who sang it. But he goes, my mind's telling me no, but my body, my body's telling me yes. Remember that old oh, yeah. song. Just switch. Yeah, I the, think that was Hanson. Nah, it wasn't Hanson. Just switch the <laughs> yes and no's part. <laughs> my mind's telling me yes, but my body, my body's telling me no. That's usually what happens these days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, so, that's a... That's like when you have to go poop.
0: Yeah, luckily, my my body doesn't tell me no terribly often, so I'm pretty <laughs> happy about that.
2: Back in episode 320, we talked about Iron Man 3 for 90 minutes. So what are we going to ah. talk about today?
0: We're going to direct people back to episode 320 and say, get on it, people. Enjoy yourselves.
1: No, Bill, I think we should just what? rehash the past and just uh just talk about Iron Man 3, which is uh ironically iron 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 you said it right the first time yeah but i was trying to emphasize the iron because we're talking about iron
2: Ironically, okay yeah
1: ironically um <laughs> uh, we are actually as of the date of this recording which is 418 april 18th we are about to hit the seventh year anniversary of the release of iron man 3 I don't yeah. know,
0: guys. People might have a lot better things to do than listen <laughs> to this episode. So, you know, I don't know. I wish let everybody just go. While you know, oh, you know, we get a free edition of the uh, the Seinfeld theme song. Oh, that's not the thing. Yeah, I didn't. I see, even, I see
2: what yeah. he's doing there. I hadn't. I hadn't I, even tried to rehearse that. <laughs> Why are we hey. talking about Iron Man three again? How did we get back onto this?
0: Um, I'm one of those that I don't go back and revisit movies very often. Uh, I don't go back and revisit media uh, almost ever just because there's always something new coming down the pike. Um, so I'm not the, the person that's gone back and, and watched the entire Marvel you know, movie run you know three or four times in a row. Um, it had been probably at least uh, two or three years since I had sat through Iron Man 3 and I was sitting there with the kiddos uh, a weekend or two back. And, um, I just, it, I, it just kind of hit me. It's like, I've got the Blu-ray. I've got, I've got most of the Blu-rays, the first three phases. And, um, I looked at Zoe and I said, man, I want to watch Iron Man three. Zoe was into it luckily. So, um, um, I put that sucker in and we spun it. And, uh, cause I, I had remembered all these parts of Iron Man three that I thought were really cool and really unique, uh, to the rest of the MCU. And, uh, I just wanted to revisit.
2: How long and, ago uh, did you watch it?
0: uh two weeks ago uh two weekends ago now
2: did you watch it again since then no preparation for this episode okay in preparation
0: i watched it it like the night before we talked about watching it
2: okay i figured i figured i'm good i've seen it twice in the last two days
1: oh nice Thanks. And I would say, Brad, I'm about in the same camp. I watched it once, taking notes, and then I scrubbed it again just to kind of rewatch a few scenes. Yeah, uh, just to uh, 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 kind of find uh, you know little nuggets and here and there. But with with that being said, why don't we just kind of dive right into our rewatch of Iron Man three? Okay. Um, so, a uh, couple quick facts Do we here. need to pause, like, theme music or anything?
0: Nah. nah we'll dive okay, right in. Right.
1: Okay. So, op- opening weekend, as I said earlier, uh, April 24th of 2013. Uh, opening weekend, $174 million. Was this Man. the
2: first movie that came out after Avengers? Mm, I don't know the...
1: It was the next year,
2: at least, right? Right. Let me see. I have the wiki page
1: open. Let me see. Well, uh,
0: that's a that's a good thought because he is absolutely uh, still dealing with the oh, PTSD yeah. oh, from yeah, big the Avengers. Yeah, um, it's it's a huge plot point. So yes, that's why if I it was wasn't wondering. It, yeah. yeah,
2: he's still definitely suffering from the from the you know the fallout from that movie. So, uh, worldwide, it made one point two billion dollars. Well, you know. That does not surprise me because Avengers was such a huge hit. Why not just jump right into another Iron Man movie who obviously, arguably, I mean, is the heart of the Avengers is Iron Man. No pun intended. But, um, you know, I remember watching it the first time and I don't I I did not go back and listen to episode 320. It might have been interesting to have done so, but I did not. I don't remember exactly how I felt about it. But I will say right now, as we start talking about this again, after watching it twice in the last two two days, I honestly really enjoyed it. And I only just now finally completely understand the entire plot of this movie. Because it is a bit disjointed in the telling of this movie. I think there are really quick bits of dialogue that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss. And those really quick bits of dialogue, they really connect everything together in this story, so...
1: And Brad, to answer your question, uh, according to a chronological order, you're supposed to watch these movies in. Uh, after uh, Iron Man three takes place six months after New York. Okay, <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, Shane Black was our director, and uh, while he does have a number of movies to his credit, uh, it's a it's as a writer that uh, I think he really shines he uh, he wrote for the tv series lethal weapon uh, also uh writing the scripts for the movie series um he did last action hero which eh, but uh he also wrote for uh the script for the nice guys and for a movie i've never seen but i've heard great things about called <coughs> kiss, kiss kiss bang bang kiss,
0: bang, bang. Um, I sat through that movie about six months ago, um, randomly. It was just one of those movies I'd always heard of and never watched, and I found it uh, fairly engrossing. Um, and it also uh, makes it a lot more understandable why they tabbed Shane Black to work with uh, Robert Downey Jr., as that was uh, one of Robert Downey Jr.'s first um, bits of uh, media, um, basically being post-addict.
2: Was Sammy in ha- that movie?
0: Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is uh, the star of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang.
2: Was not was Sammy J not in that movie?
0: Samuel L. Jackson, sir. Yeah, what am I thinking of? Um, I know,
2: I know,
1: Batman well, is in no, it. Cal, yeah. um,
0: not uh, to divert too hard, but it's uh, Val Kilmer um, yeah. is uh, the co-star in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and uh, that is the um, that is the uh, the um still skinny and, and just super super hot Val Kilmer. <laughs> I'm obviously
2: thinking out, of something you know. else. No, so, it's it's a it's
0: an odd movie. I, I wouldn't necessarily say everybody needs to run from the hills to watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but if you're into uh uh if you're into Robert Downey Jr.'s uh um, au revoir uh then you might uh, go ahead and enjoy it. Um it is uh, uh it is a, a murder mystery um ostensibly. Shane Black uh, also did
2: the, uh, the predator, the last predator movie that came out. You know, did
0: Shane Black, Shane Black do the, uh, the first, um, uh, the first Riddick movie. Um,
2: no, uh, no pitch black. That was David Tui. Shane Black Uh, was a character. He played a character in the glasses that that always told jokes in the very first Arnold Schwarzenegger predator movie. And, um, yeah, he was the, he was the guy always telling jokes. And, um, Trying to get the uh, Indian American Indian guy to laugh.
0: Anyway, I've been trying so, to get my kids to sit through the Predator with me, and, and so far they've failed.
2: the the the, la- it, the latest movie, The Predator. Yes. Yeah. Um. He directed that one. He he came and wrote. I believe he wrote the story and directed it. You know, and it. Isn't it interesting. It, it made how sense they that have- he would be involved because he was in the first one, but um, there was a bit. There, I think the last Predator movie was a bit of a letdown. We're not here to talk about Predator.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when was the last time that honestly that, that someone took some kind of old IP like the Predator or or I don't know, whatever you got, you know the you know the uh, the certainly upcoming remake of the last action hero joke. Um, but uh, when was the last time someone took something like that, an Alien movie, uh, and uh, did a really good job with it? Because I can't think of one right off the top of my head.
1: They're pretty few and far, far between. I mean, uh, you only remember the good ones usually. That sounds like a
2: topic for a future episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, let's. So let's dive right into the movie. Uh, so it starts on black, and Robert is giving an account. Uh, and he says something along the lines of, like, we create our own de- demons. Someone famous said it. Uh, I'm saying it. So now two famous people have said it. Um, Kind of indicating uh, uh, something that's going to uh, build on the story that's happening so far. We jump to the year 1999 in Bern, Switzerland. The song I Am Blue is playing in the background. And we meet a drunk Tony uh, with uh, Dr. Hansen, Maya Hansen, and he meets... Ho Jensen and Dr. Wu, a famous cardiologist who will play important later. And, um, they all walk up to an elevator and, um, right before they walk in the elevator, Tony says, uh, sometimes the old days come back to bite me. Um, let's talk about this setup before
2: we, we move on
1: further. Uh, what stuck out to you guys? I always
2: thought it was cool that, that you see Jensen, you know, because in the original Iron Man, you know, in the cave when he got captured, he's in the cave with Jensen, and Jensen says, "You may not remember, but we met once before." And so, at the beginning of this movie, we get to see that meeting. I thought that was pretty cool. And Jensen says something along the lines, "In Iron Man, is
1: like you were so drunk, I'm I'm not surprised you don't remember us meeting." Yes. Uh I thought the uh, the song choice "I'm Blue." uh, was a great choice because you know, it's a, it's a dance song, but, and the lyrics are super basic, but it's this very happy, upbeat dance song, but it talks about, I have a car, I have a wife, but I'm blue. And so just like Tony, he has all this wealth and almost anything anyone could ever want, but he's not happy. He's never happy. And just, just a nice song choice for that scene. Uh,
0: I find that scene, um, just really fascinating um, because we, we kind of knew that uh, Tony Stark was like this, but uh, uh, we saw him in Iron Man. Um, he was confident, but not, you know, a jerk, you know, and he was not a jerk hole. Um, this is the first time we really see him, you know, via flashback where he really is the guy that he's been describing, you know, himself as, uh, for a long time this, this, you really get a sense that, uh, that okay he was not a pleasant human to be around um, for probably quite a while you know, he probably had to uh, do some serious falling before he rediscovered his I don't know humanity is too strong a word but uh, uh, you know they do a really good job of setting up the journey that, uh, that he has taken over the last 5-10 you know, years um, though they're doing it in you know, essentially one scene here um, I just, I, I find it, I find it really, uh, good, uh, filmmaking and, uh, I think Shane Black, uh, does a, a real, real good job with this entire movie, but he sets it up really well in this first scene.
1: The, uh, the line that Tony says about the old days come back to bite me, uh, really does hold some weight because if you jump all the way up to Spider-Man far from home, Mysterio, um, Uh, had a real beef with Tony. And that's kind of what caused him to kind of do what he did. Uh, So again, even, even uh, in death, Tony's past is
2: coming back to not only haunt him, but haunt the world. It's interesting to watch these movies, you know, with the perspective of history and, and several other movies that come after much like the way I felt the first time I watched, episode four after having seen the force awakens, which we will talk about next week, by the way, a plug for next week. Um, oh, it was neat to, to watch episode four again, knowing that all this other stuff happens. And so seeing iron man three with that extra knowledge is neat. And, um, I want to mention, uh, Aldrich Killian. You know, he's, it's apparently he's the guy that started aim. And I believe if memory serves, this is the first time we, uh, we ever hear the about aim in any of the movies? I don't recall it ever being mentioned before, I think um, you're right, and um of course, you know we know in the comics we know aim as guys wearing big goofy yellow suits <laughs> with big ugly helmets and controlled by um was it Modoc right? didn't he control I Mo- think you're right,
0: yeah, at one point, God, I loved I loved the uh the design of uh those aim suits, those weird <laughs> beekeeper suits.
1: Uh, I, I've seen a couple of cosplays of those ah uh, people in those suits. They they are hilarious. I love them. <laughs> <clears throat> um, okay, so we uh, next scene. Uh, Tony and Maya
2: are. Oh wait, uh, they, we gotta wait. Oh, Happy's rocking a mullet like big time. Happy oh, mullet. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was uh, my awesome heard. I,
1: videos. Uh, I heard he was referencing. Uh, he was channeling his inner um, John Travolta. From pulp fiction, it sure looks yes, look like it tracks.
2: Oh yeah, big time, <laughs> big time.
1: So, uh, so in the elevator, we're introduced to Killian, who uh, who's a, a big nerd, and uh, you know he, he pitches his idea to Tony uh, about starting AIM, and Tony tells him, "Hey, I'll meet you up in the roof in five minutes. Let me just get my my uh, beak wet." Gillian goes up and waits for him. Uh, Maya and Tony go back to the room. They talk about research. Then they have a kissing party and then Killian is waiting on the roof, watching fireworks, indicating that Tony, Tony's kissing party is going very well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Never. I didn't think about it that way, but in hindsight again, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it, it took a couple hours too. Cause, uh, I, uh, you keep flashing back to uh, killing him, you know, uh, periodically during the uh, the conclusion of that scene, and uh, you don't really realize how long he's been waiting up there until you see the fireworks, uh, you know, letting you know that, oh, it's it's now midnight and the new year is upon us.
1: The um- and, and with this scene, so we get kind of all the back matter we need to know about, like, what the uh, extremist project is all about, uh, who our big bad is going to be, and, um, and just laying the groundwork for
2: where the, the body of this, this movie is headed. I think, if I remember correctly, I, okay, let me put it this way. I know Maya Hansen was in the extremist storyline in the comics. I don't recall the extremist storyline – being much more, and maybe it was, again, I don't. it's been a while, but I don't remember it being much more than just, like, the extremist armor lived inside of Tony, which this movie really didn't have anything to do with. You know, it was more about rewriting DNA for superpowers or whatever in this movie, but um, I think the comic, my takeaway from the comic in m- memory was just that the extremist armor lived inside Tony. And we kind of, you know, they kind of tie that in a little bit. We see Tony in, installing those things in his arm, you know, to call the armor to himself. That's about as close as they got to that with the extremists,
0: I think. That's a really good point. I wish I'd gone back and uh, reread the uh, the comic. You now I feel silly.
1: The, um, uh, we, after, after that scene, we jump to present day, back to Tony's house. And, uh, uh, Brad, as you had mentioned, um, Tony is putting these little, uh, uh, nano things in his skin and he's working on the Mark 42 suit and kind of like in a, in a, um, in a Thor type of way, he's, he's making the suit to where it comes to him. Like Thor's hammer always comes to him. Right. Uh, uh he, he's trying to create the suit to where it comes to him. He's the
2: worthy one of, of the suit. Yeah, I didn't of and then think it that uh, way, but that's a good analogy. He's uh, jealous there of is, point break to some point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there there is one line in that whole montage scene, which is a which is a great scene where when the the mask is headed towards Tony, Tony says to the mask, come on. I'm not scared of you and then the mask hits him on on the face kind of like uh there there's something there but I can't put my finger on it when he says that to the mask it's almost like he's he's saying like I know like I would have a not, not like I know you're part of me I'm not afraid of you it's like the suit represents the best parts of Tony and and the inside is is the the frail broken man but with the suit he can be a better man
2: he even tells pepper later you know the suits are part of him and it makes you
0: wonder how much wearing the suit uh helps him psychically hide from his recent past as well you know does he get to play superhero you know when he's wearing it and he has to go back to being you know poor old rich kid tony stark when he's not
2: you can definitely see shades of that later in the movie when he lands in nashville and jarvis says yeah. i think i need to go to sleep and and tony says don't leave me buddy yeah, You know, like he's afraid. Yeah. He's afraid to have to do everything on his own. Uh, speaking of Paul Bettany, you know, it's nice to hear Jarvis just in, <laughs> back in, in old Jarvis form, you know, before we ever knew him <laughs> as as the Vision. Uh, so
1: we are introduced to the Mandalorian. We see one of his, his videos break well, through the screen. close. Yeah. Um, war, we see War Machine has now been rebranded as Iron Patriot. And that, that uh, rebranding was through AIM, which oh is uh, which is a very uh, – it, It's uh, you see the graphic on screen, but they don't mention it. Uh, you also see President Ellis, which is a nod to writer Warren Ellis, uh, who was one of the writers for The Extremist, or he was the writer for The Extremist. Yeah. That was something I read online. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Um, and then that takes us to a bar where Tony and Rhodey are actually watching this Mandalorian video and, uh, uh, him and Rhodey talk about the rebranding and stuff. And then Tony starts to have a breakdown
2: in the bar and he runs to his suit for safety. So when we saw the first Iron Man, there was the, that one guy in the desert who was like the head bad guy, you know, he's a bald guy. We've seen him character actor. He's been in tons of stuff. He's even been in Star Trek stuff, but, uh, He's got one ring on and they there's a very pointed shot of this guy in the first Iron Man movie with a ring on. And so there was a lot of talk back then about the Mandarin. Will we ever see the Mandarin? You know, the guy had a ring. Is it part of the 10 rings? So now here we are with the Mandarin showing up and, there's a little quick graphic every time he hijacks airwaves of of those ten rings you know in a, in a circle those interlocking ten circles and he's actually wearing rings on all uh, ten of his fingers and uh, you know eventually we see that this Mandarin character is not what we ever expected from the very first Iron Man movie
1: okay I, I will kind of kind of jump in and, and say that is one of the for me, one of the brilliant moments of this movie was the reveal of what the Mandarin actually is. And see, I think I loved, I
0: absolutely, one of the reasons I went back and watched it, because um, I think that, that one of my favorite villains, I guess, in Marvel Cinematic Universe history to this point has been the pre-reveal Mandarin. Um I thought it was so creepy and so ominous and so well done. And You'll so, you know, for never lack of a better see term. me coming. Yes. Yeah. And for lack of a better term is very real world. I mean, that's, it's, you know, that, that whole idea that, you know, it, that the terrorists, you know, could be coming for you and you wouldn't know it. Um, you know, hopefully it's uh, uh, very much, a, a, you know, a small possibility, but, you know, it's one of the few times when it's like, uh, this could actually happen. Uh, kids um you know maybe not uh you know maybe not in, in this exact way but uh but the idea that you know that that something real world like this could creep into a marvel movie with enough scale that it would uh that it would matter uh, i thought was uh, was fairly profound because you know in most of the marvel movies big surprise comic book movies the uh, the big bads are not real world uh issues you know uh, Thanos, not a real world issue. You know, Ultron, not a real world issue. Uh, a terrorist, scary ass terrorist, uh, who could be anywhere at any time, uh, very much a real world issue. Um, so I just I thought it was it was kind of interesting that uh, they touched kind of the the real world page harder in this movie um, than pretty much any other. Um, so I, I think that's one of the, one of my fascinations of this movie is just the fact that it's kind of it's kind of grounded in, in a very faux reality.
1: Now we we don't we don't know this yet. We still think that the Mandalorian is, is the big bad. Mandarin. But We go back you in, the Mandarin yeah, or Mandarin. You, we the, Mandarin? the Mandalorian, as we all know, the Mandalorian You
0: are the most confusing <laughs> human I know, Frank, this is the way, and I love Frank. you for that.
1: This is the way. Um <laughs> But if you go back to the movie trailers and, and you see him, uh, I mean, he is really painted as the big bad for this movie. And, um, it, it's just, I think that's what got me when I saw it in the movie theater was that, that, uh, him being just, just a beard for lack of a, of a better word, a front it oh, is why? such a, it's such a shocking, uh, uh um, um, situation but, but let's wait till we actually get to that scene because that's a pretty cool reveal um, I also I also wanted to point out that uh, uh, this kind of again leads back to spider-man far from home in a way in that we are you know we had mysterio who's pretending to be a hero but he's but he's actually a villain in this situation we have someone who's pretending to be the villain but isn't so it, it's another Frost
2: false front i thought there was a nice parallel between this and and spider-man far from home i thought it was an interesting choice to give the mandarin an american accent you know he wasn't a traditional asian accent or whatever of course he i don't think he looks asian at all so maybe it shouldn't surprise me that he had an american accent
1: uh what about that bar scene that bar scene was was pretty cool plus we see the kid from christmas story in it
2: yeah that's pretty funny (laughs) Um,
1: That that is a great throwaway line, too.
2: I like the reference. Another throwaway line was, uh, I think it was War Machine said something about Tony running around with the super friends. (laughs) That's right. I thought that was pretty Uh, clever.
1: And I think this is maybe the first time we see him break down in the movie where he has a panic attack and he runs to the suit. Um. I thought that that that, that was actually kind of kind of pretty profound that this that this guy who pretty much saved saved the world uh uh
2: just just has these these little freakouts. Well, and he can't even believe it. So, you know, he thinks something's wrong with his heart, his brain. So, he goes right to Jarvis and says, "You know, find the problem." And um obviously he's shocked when he finds out, "Oh, it's all in my head." You know? I thought it was interesting. Has has Iron Man become such a commonplace thing? I suppose he has after he saved the world that he can just leave his armor open outside of a bar and go inside and hang out, and nobody's coming up to him except for kids. And then when he goes out to his armor, nobody's trying to like climb, nobody's posing in the armor, you know, (laughs) taking pictures inside his armor or whatever.
1: I, I would say, think of it as this is his watering hole. He's a celebrity, but he goes there all the time. You know, it's just like, oh, it's Tony Stark. You know, yeah. it, 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 if you, if you go to that place for the first time, you're like, hey, it's Tony Stark. But if you're there all the time, it's just like,
2: hey, yeah, you know it's. Or maybe people have tried to like climb in the thing to have a picture, and as soon as they approach it, it closes up. You know, uh-huh. like a like a roly poly. When you touch it once, it'll close <laughs> up like that.
0: I'm going to guess that uh, the, the suit of armor will make it real obvious that it's not inviting you in. Oh yeah, I, I just I'm never sure Jarvis got the has
2: to warn people off it. every once in a while. Yeah. But I, I, you are I not kinda, Tony Stark. You are not authorized to be inside this Alma. Uh I kind of <laughs> wish
1: there there had been someone out there taking a selfie with it when uh, uh, when when Tony ran up to it. I think that would have been very real world. You know, someone just standing in front of it with their
2: camera out
1: and just yeah.
2: Well maybe at this point, like you said, everybody's just used to everybody's used to it, you know. Or maybe they had got respect for him because he saved the planet and they're like, Hey man, don't mess with oh, that. Yeah. Hey man, don't mess with that armor. You know, that's Tony yeah. that's Iron Man. D- you know, show some respect. Something like that. So we,
1: we jump to Stark Industries and we see happy uh <laughs> <Badge>. <laughs> Happy reminding everyone to be wearing bad badge. I love friggin' love it.
2: Badge. Badge. Hey guy.
1: Hey guy, Badge. Badge. Um Aldridge shows up. Uh he has an appointment with uh with Pepper. It's the new Aldridge, too, because he's not walking with a cane. He he's uh
2: uh he's straight up a uh, a baller. He looks great. I was even mesmerized by him, much mm-hmm. like Potts was. Yeah. When she uh, saw Pepper him. Pepper
1: is uh is is really kind of taken back with uh with him.
2: Yeah. Uh, th- so
1: this kind of sets up. Help me with this scene. What is his goal in meeting with? He's trying
2: to get. He's trying to get her to back him and his you know production of the extremist armor. And she even says, "Well, this sounds great, but it also sounds like it could be used as a weapon. And so, therefore, I'm out like a shark. So it it seems like he needs. Production help. Yeah, like, he wants. He, he
1: has the technology. It just needs to be polished a little bit more, and he just needs that or financial
2: straight. backing. You know, okay. like he 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 thinks he thinks if he can get Tony Stark and Stark Industries involved in all this, and he even says, "I I hit up Tony Stark," you know, nine years ago or whatever. But he's not in charge anymore. Obviously, somebody more. I forget the word he used, but he's he's like you know. Obviously, you're smarter than Tony. Because you're in charge now, and maybe you'll do the right thing and, and partner with me.
0: Well, uh, I, I, that he a wants nothing to do with Tony uh, for obvious reasons, and b he he probably thinks slash realizes that if Tony were in charge, uh, he wouldn't so much as uh, get his foot in the door and see if he can somehow win over uh, Pepper Potts uh, either professionally or even better personally then that is just a uh that is a sweet double whammy that turns into a mega quadruple whammy because it gets him everything he wants
2: i think that's uh, more of it bill i think it's we find yeah. out later you know she's like oh i'm your trophy and he's like yeah pretty much you're so i think from the get-go you know it, he had two uh goals in mind one was to get t- uh, stark industries involved for you know for money and and production. And also I'm going to steal pepper from Tony.
1: Oh yeah. I looked up the, uh, the meaning of Aldridge and, uh, and it means wise ruler. I don't know if that really, uh, uh, means anything in, in, the the movie as a whole but i thought that that was kind of interesting i mean maybe he sees himself as someone who is very wise and stuff but but definitely his last name killian it's a little on the nose it, it you know it might as well be you know kill man or
2: uh, or something like that killian means wise ruler no uh aldrich aldrich He's oh wise. okay yeah. uh it's so uh, now, interesting to me that
0: uh Aldrich, the, the character of Aldrich Killian, uh, first appeared in Marvel comics in 2005 in the extremist storyline. Huh? Um, he was, uh, he was never referenced, uh, before that. Um, so yeah, Iron Man, uh, volume four issue one. Um, and of course created by uh, Warren Ellis.
1: So we jump up to the, uh, Stark mansion, go back to Stark mansion. Pepper shows up. Uh, Tony is obviously a little jealous that uh, that she was flirting with he was flirting with killing, and he gets that information from uh, from Happy. Um, also, is this the scene where Pepper uh, talks to the suit and thinks it's Tony? Yeah, yeah, this is yes. the scene. Okay,
2: I think she figures it out because she goes, um, "I'm going downstairs." Yeah. Right. Uh, also, uh, uh, Tony admits
1: to Pepper that New York messed him up and uh also in this scene there is something in the background i had to look this up let me see if you guys can figure it out there is a wad of twisted metal behind a piece of glass that's just in the background like uh, as a
2: trophy as a trophy on display. i had to look
1: it up did you guys did i you didn't guys see it is?
2: no i didn't see you it no <clears throat> i'm about to learn something
1: so, uh, uh, according to what I saw online, those are wrecked Formula One cars from Iron Man 2, oh. which he kind of keeps as a trophy down there. Hmm. So, uh, it, it's a background item. It's not important. It doesn't look like art or anything, so that's why I was confused. I had to look it up, and uh, that's what came up. So, so we'll see if that's actually... Um, so I, I assume that's true, but so that this scene kind of sets up that the uh, that the Iron Man suit suit can be controlled remotely, which plays an important role later on in the movie, and uh, and that Pepper and Tony are dealing with um, relationship issues where you know he, he's trying to be uh, he's trying to deal with this on his own and uh, and it's affecting his relationship with Pepper. I don't know
2: any who the home-
0: story for at that point Tony or Pepper.
2: I thought that big bunny outside was really freaky and I totally <laughs> expected something to come out of it from inside. Like a bad, I really, like I a really bad guy thought, was hiding in it or something.
1: Uh, I thought for sure that that rabbit was going to play uh, some type of like role later on in the movie. Like it yeah. was going to save some, like it was going to be in the right,
2: like you know the building was going to fall and,
1: the rabbit was going to save him, but like maybe uh, it was did. a
2: iron man suit inside it the whole time and it would come oh. in, and save somebody's life or something.
1: <laughs> or well, like it's totally at, understandable at the, end of the movie that rabbit shows up and it's a,
2: an iron man suit. <laughs> yeah. Like it wouldn't have surprised me if he had put an iron man suit inside it, you know, as just protection for her.
0: Yeah, it is. It is strange that uh, something that was nodded to that heavily um, didn't, you know, become a bigger part of the movie at some point. It's it's kind of cool to just throw in a little, little stupid, you know, thing for fun, and actually have it not mean, you know, have deep, you know, deep meaning beyond that. Because uh, you know, you expect that in, in cinema. You know the you know the whole idea that uh, you know when when you're editing that uh, you know if something doesn't advance the plot, uh, you know, remove it. You know, yeah. Uh, nothing. Nothing belongs in a movie that doesn't advance plot, which is why you know things get left on the cutting room floor, the the editing floor, uh, in post production. Um, so it, it's kind of uh, kind of cool that uh, they decide just to kind of throw this in there. And um, I guess it maybe you're you're trying to you're trying to narrow down on Tony's personality or something by doing this. Um, uh, now, certainly the. Uh, the, the rabbit was uh, pretty well stacked, so um, maybe that was just uh, us trying to remind the audience that uh, now Tony Stark's still kind of a he's still kind of a dog a d d a w g dog.
2: I think if you go back and look at that, you'll realize that those are arms and not. Uh, breasts oh, well, not what well, you see, think!
0: You, you have you have uh, completely shattered my illusions. Then. Yeah,
2: at first I thought they were breasts, also, but when I when you go back and look, I think they're arms. Frank, did we <laughs> have we that seen
0: why there were no arms on that thing?
2: Did we skip over a a scene where where the extremists made some guy blow up? Oh, that's the next scene, actually. Okay, okay, good. So, uh, so we jump to the front of the Man uh,
1: Chinese Theater. And we meet uh, Eric Savin, who we met earlier uh, in an earlier scene, uh, but uh, 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 he turns out to be a henchman for for Killian. Um, He's kind of a badass, too. Uh, Eric Savin is named after a Marvel character named Coldblood, but he's never referred to as Coldblood in this movie. Is he the bald guy?
2: Yeah, he's the bald guy. That's uh, he's James old, Badge dumb, Dale. Really Weird. Yeah, that's James Badgedale. He was in um, a season or two of uh, 24.
1: Yes, and, okay.
2: uh, so uh, so he's named after the, uh, the mercenary in
1: Marvel comic books called Cold Blood. And he talks to a vet who is obviously struggling with something. Um, we don't know what at this time, but he gives this vet something. And the, uh, uh, happy who happens to be trailing Eric, uh, confronts him and, uh, the vet ends up blowing up much like the plant did back in 1999 in Maya's hotel room. And, uh, um, happy is practically left for dead, but we see Eric, uh, kind of walk out of the explosion, um, and he's kind of growing back. He's he he has been affected by it, but somehow he is is growing his skin back and stuff. And 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 with his last ounce of, of strength, Happy tries to point something out, and then he passes out.
2: Yeah, obviously the extremist has been perfected to some degree that it helps you know regenerate body parts and whatnot. And I think this is where we see we probably see uh,
1: the extremists kind of like like uh, what it's it both it's in its failed version, which is the vet, and its more stable version, which is which is uh, Eric.
2: Yeah, and I think it was a planned thing to make this guy blow up, so you know to add more mystery to the quote unquote terrorist attacks by the uh, Mandarin. Which, speaking of the ma- Mandarin, we get
1: another Ten Rings video, and uh, the man- Mandarin comes up and he does this great. He takes responsibility for the explosion and uh, uh, he does this great line about like how Chinese cookies are actually an American invention and and talks a little bit about real American history about the massacre of some Native Americans and and uh, and kind of just just calls out the American government a little bit, which uh, which prompts. Tony who's in the waiting in the hospital room with um, happy to run out and talk to some reporters who happen to be at the hospital for some reason and kind of uh, uh, tells everyone that uh, you know what Mandarin I'm coming after you or doing this Uh, Iron Man old-fashioned revenge that's all this is
2: you know this scene really just illustrates his utter narcissism and lack of consideration for other people. You know, he even goes on later on in in the movie to say that he's been selfish, but this is just the most selfish thing that, that he could have done was to give out his home address which, if you, if you go to Google
1: Maps and look up that address, uh, it's just uh, it's a nice beachfront property, but there's a whole bunch of really nice homes on the beach. But, it's, of course, it's not Tony's beautiful Malibu house.
2: Yeah.
0: I thought that uh, his, uh, they really messed with his, uh, this character there um, pretty much harder than they ever have at that point. Uh, just the, the whole idea that Tony would, would freak out and, uh, do something that irresponsible. Um, you know, the, the Mandarin, what he was doing completely, I mean, it worked beyond the Mandarins and, and Ames wildest uh, expectations that they would goad Tony into doing something like that. And, you know, not that they could not have found Tony's address, you know, had they wanted to, I'm sure he was, you know, easily, you know, easily found, but the fact that they were able to get Tony to call him out, They'd basically say, Hey, come and get me. It's like, well, okay, you asked and, uh, and here it comes. And yeah, to do something like that, um, you know, it, it's interesting because they're, they're really showing that Tony has more than one issue <laughs> because yeah, definitely. Um, you, you don't, you don't do that realizing that you have loved ones, you know, at that same place, you know, you, you, you've got to understand, you've got to realize what the implications of you having that moment are and for him not to be able to contain himself and to spit out his home address and to challenge and, and, you know, just literally, you know, tell the guy, you know, come and get me, um, is an act of just, uh, just borderline insanity. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, you hate to say you get what you deserve, Tony, but you know, he, he really did. He, he fell hard and it, it makes you, I, I wish, I wonder if the movie uh, might have been too long or a little too psychological or something if they had delved into the idea that, you know, his PTSD was combining with his narcissism to create this really dangerous mental state that he was in. Because, uh, you, know, you know, obviously anybody would look at that and go, well, that's just a really stupid thing to do. Um, yeah. Everybody I, it, but Tony.
1: Yeah. I, I think uh, – I. I...
2: It was pretty shocking when, when he uh, did his address like that. Um, yeah. Well, he was, you know, in his defense, he was sitting there watching his looking at his best friend laying there in a coma Absolutely, and just yeah. and just being angry as heck about it. I know yep. if it, if if I was looking at a loved one in a similar situation, I would be very upset with the person that put him in that situation as well. I don't know that I would have been as stupid as Tony was in this moment, but I would have been angry. There, there, if you go back to the movie trailer, there is, they show that
1: scene where Tony is talking to all the reporters in there. And in that scene, there, there is this one reporter who kind of like, uh, he asks something directly to Tony, which causes him to, uh, uh, to give the speech and give his uh, address. But in the trailer, that guy is holding a flip phone camera or or a flip phone with the camera in this movie he has a smartphone. It's it's interesting that they switched what? it up in post and I would wonder why they would uh even go with a flip phone in the first place.
2: I think we <laughs> knew that back when this movie came out. I think there was some talk about how that phone had changed from the trailer to the actual movie.
1: Yeah, and 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 I kept wondering is that guy like a uh, part of Aim because he seemed to ask the right question Plus he to, didn't even uh, look like a reporter. No, he
2: didn't. He had, like, like colored hair and a popped collar and just goofiness.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, obviously, unless I missed it, that guy didn't really play a part uh, other than, than in those reporter scenes. But, but th- I thought that was kind of a, a curious little, like, a re-edit uh, from the trailer to the movie. Um, so we jump back to the Stark mansion. Maya shows up. And Tony has a great reaction, goes, If you tell me I have a kid that's twelve year that there's a twelve year old kid sitting in that car, I'm gonna freak out. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Maya goes, he's actually thirteen. No, I'm kidding. kidding. I'm here to tell you that I think my boss Killian is uh, is behind the extremist project, and then all hell breaks loose with the uh, with the uh, miss, uh, missile attack from the helicopters, which happened to be disguised as news news helicopters too, which I thought was a nice touch.
2: I uh, see, but, I didn't take that. I just thought that those were actual news helicopters, you know, that were hovering and waiting because. If the Mandarin got his address, so did all the reporters. Yeah, know? yeah. And when they show those those helicopters with missiles, they're coming from a distance. So, I, but, but they are the disgu- But they are when you see the uh, the uh, when, when you see the uh, missiles
1: pop out of them, uh, they are disguised as news okay. helicopters. I missed that. So detail. they're definitely yeah. So they're definitely join in with all the news reporters that are already hovering over his house, but now.
2: Uh, you know, it's just a way to kind of blend in.
1: That helicopter
2: course- attack sequence was just really, really incredible. This movie has two absolutely incredible action sequences in it. And this is the first one.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's Tony Tony's world l- literally falling apart because of his actions.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of CG and stuff in this movie, but it was incredibly well done. I like the use of slow motion. I thought that was pretty good, and I love the fact that his first instinct when that first missile hits is to tell the is to tell the armor to go to Pepper to protect her. You know, he, he still really has cool his priorities
0: because we we didn't know that his armor could do that, did we? Right.
2: No. I mean, no, We
0: knew that the armor would come to him, but to find right. out that he can actually direct it, yeah, you know. It's like uh, it's like a good puppy dog. Which it's brings like, up uh, an
2: interesting uh, point for the second action sequence, but I'll get to that yeah. later.
1: The, um, uh, the Yeah, just the way I, I guess. Yeah, Brad, I, I think I know where you're headed with that. that. That is a good point. It's some foreshadowing uh, mm-hmm. with that. But we get uh, Tony's whole world kind of falling apart. There is that amazing scene where Tony has fallen underwater. The rebar is around his neck. He sees the rabbit head, if you remember, while he's underwater. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he he uh, makes his glove uh, leave his hand and pull the rebar out so
2: he, it can free him, which I thought was kind of a, a neat, m- neat scene. It wasn't even him that did it. It was Jarvis. He's like, take a deep breath, sir. It's like Jarvis is acting on his own to... Ah, I missed that. Yeah, he goes, take a deep breath, sir. And um, I thought, yeah, that was cool. Jarvis, I like Jarvis. Even before he became a, a humanoid, I've always really, really liked Jarvis and his sense of humor and and uh, his quick wit.
0: Yeah, it seems like for an AI, uh, I wonder if they were ever trying to tell us this around the edges. You know, they never came out and explicitly said it, but were they trying to give us the idea that Jarvis maybe had a little more humanity in him than uh, Tony
1: Stark at one point? <laughs> at times, it seems like that. a good that. point,
2: yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's going to have some... DNA is not the right word, but some DNA of Tony in him. Part of Tony is in Jarvis because he created Jarvis. Uh,
1: uh, A detail that's in the background of Tony's house, because it takes place during Christmas, is that there is a Christmas stocking uh, with Jarvis's name on it. But I I mean, I didn't see it. Uh, This was just as I was reading up on the movie. Someone had pointed out to it. And uh, it's it's also red and green and yellow, uh, so oh, apparently me. that's kind of foreshadowing his uh, uh, what he will become. But I think that's definitely just a set dresser, just uh, just having some fun. Uh, so Tony Tony escaped with his life, flies uh over to Tennessee, and the suit crashes. And this whole scene before he meets Harley is so great; it's just. It's, it's so great because we see Tony uh, at this point in the movie, he's at his lowest point. Uh, the suit is broken. Uh, he's forced to drag it through the snow, uh, which was a very early part of a, a, a very early teaser uh, trailer, I believe, where if I remember correctly, it was just the scene you hear footsteps and snow and and it fades up to show tony dragging his suit through the snow and then like the the words iron man three coming soon at least that's what i remember
2: where did he get those straps (laughs) yeah uh yeah i don't know does his armor suit of armor have a trunk uh i guess uh, yeah uh you know uh
1: (laughs) Uh, now you have me thinking too much about where yeah. the straps are.
2: We we kind of glossed over the one scene where Tony was examining all the different explosions all across the United States, and he narrowed the one oh, down right. to Nashville. And he says, uh, hey, let's go to Nashville. And, and Jarvis says, okay, plotting a course. And that's why he ends up landing in Nashville because as soon as Jarvis restores the flight power to the Mark Forty Two underwater. He takes off and just heads to Nashville. And Tony says, "Why are we in Nashville?" And Jarvis goes, "I made a flight plan." Yeah, and and we're we're led to
1: believe that Tony passed out in the suit too. Uh, uh, pretty much after they they got out of water, so that's why they ended up in Tennessee.
2: Yeah. Uh.
1: So. Uh, just. I I think this is just a a great scene of, you know, Tony being low. I mean, it's, it's shown to us. It's not really spoken, but you know, just the scene of him dragging his suit through the snow is just so just, it's beautiful in in a cinematic type of way. You know, it's representative of of his baggage of, of how this suit is part of him and he can never really get rid of that identity. But at times it kind of keeps him back, holds him back.
0: Yeah, yeah, the classic superhero trope of um, sacrificing your personal life uh, for you know the public who may or may not appreciate it in the first place.
2: And he's all he's all on his own now, you know, just like he said, "Don't leave me, buddy." And so he's got to figure out this really this scene. His whole time in Nashville really helps him. It's like a turning yeah, point in his life. It's like when he realizes. Go ahead.
0: I was, gonna, I was gonna say it doesn't start that way because he is really, really snarky with the kid. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean
2: oh yeah.
1: So let, let's let's like, get like, to that. So we meet uh so Tony finds a garage where he can start uh where he can hold up for the night, and we meet Harley, uh uh who is like a, a tough little kid, and uh him and Tony kind of hit it off but they don't hit it off tony apparently doesn't really like kids but they have a kind of snarky back and forth and yeah their the dialogue sports.
2: together is fantastic yeah it, it, it is. is
1: and the kid is definitely more interested in the suit than the man and uh, you know tony has a line in there where um, the kid i think he pulls off one of iron man's fingers and tony goes goes don't do that don't you don't hurt him you know, treating his suit like like a real kind of friend. And he uses that line, too. Don't hurt him.
2: Yeah. I mean, he'll fix it. He fixes stuff. That's what he does. Yeah.
1: He's a mechanic. I think right. he refers to himself for the first time here as a mechanic.
2: Yeah. Uh, what do we think of Harley? I I thought he was great. I thought my first reaction was this kid is pretty accepting right away of the stranger, you know, coming in. Then again... He's by himself. His mom is at work. His dad left for scratchers six years ago and never came back. So he's, yeah. you know, he's hardened a bit. He's got that potato gun, so he feels a little safe, at least. He even shows Tony that it's probably a little uh, stronger than you anticipate. Yeah. <laughs> he kills that. He kills that jar up on the shelf. You know, with that, with that one potato. He's like, hey, no, hey, yeah. now you're empty. And the kid's like, oh crap! And he, rec- <laughs> I think it's funny that, or not funny, but I think it's neat that Tony recognizes this this kid is smart. Like he, you know, he recognizes that this kid has some talent because obviously later on at the end of the movie, he's given this kid a bunch of scientific ex- uh, equipment. Um, yeah. But uh, he 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 can tell that that the kid's smart. You know, he he recognizes right away that there's something special about this kid.
1: And I, I don't know if it's in this scene or another scene where he, he asks for the tuna fish sandwich, but he, he trades uh, uh, the kid. He gives the kid one of uh, Iron Man's uh, missiles, but he tells them how to get, how to do it safely to kind of uh, uh get rid of a uh, bully. It's the same uh, scene. It's at the it's end the of the scene. Yeah. So, so Tony is, is can kind of recognize a little bit the, uh, about how this kid, you know, he figures out that this kid is dealing with the bully somehow, <laughs> and he just recognizes that, and so gives him this. This you know makes a deal with him. You let me use your garage, make me a sandwich,
2: and I'll give you this. And of course, that pays off later. Tony may be incredibly self-centered and narcissistic, but he's also extremely perceptive. You know, he's. Been, it's been well established that he's probably the most like the smartest person in the marvel cinematic universe at least uh because we haven't met uh reed richards in the marvel cinematic universe yet but uh thank you but yeah but he's um but he's obviously very perceptive you know and he he's smarter than he lets on sometimes because at the very you know not the very beginning but when Maya Hansen comes back and he acts like he doesn't remember her, but then he does and says her name, she's surprised that he actually remembers. So I think a lot of times Tony plays dumb, but he certainly is not dumb. And, you know, he he's very perceptive. And, and like you said, he he just knows right away that this kid's been bullied. Yeah.
1: Uh I'm going to I'm going to combine these two scenes uh before we go back to the town. So, we have a scene where Pepper and Maya are driving to safety and we get a little bit more of the backstory of what Aim is up to. And uh, uh there there's something uh, uh uh in movie editing called the answer cut and they missed an opportunity to do the answer cut where uh Pepper asked Maya, "Who's your boss?" And Maya answers, "It's Killian." And then there's a dun dun dun, and then they go to Killian. What they should have done, in my mind, is they could, they should have said, "Who's your boss?" And then cut to Killian, <laughs> uh, who is who is a setting up for a record with the uh, 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 with the with the Mandarin. And uh, and at this point, we still think the Mandarin is the head bad guy because Killian looks at him with seriousness and everyone is like, okay, here comes the Mandarin. He's going to do his record. Everyone be cool. So, um, and the, and the Mandarin just controls the room,
2: uh, when he comes in for his record. I think it was a deliberate choice to not do that answer cut because I think it's important to show that Pepper knows that Killian's a bad news that we, that I think it's important that we are on the same page as Pepper, when she realizes, oh, it's Killian, this guy's bad news. While it, would, it might have been a clever, neat cut, a neat edit trick, I, I think mm-hmm. it, it has more of an impact for us to be on the same page as Pepper. Uh,
1: so uh, the so the Mandarin sits down for his record, and then we immediately go back to the small town with Tony and Harley. And, uh, and there's something I, I read online that I really wanted to point out to you guys Uh, but I'll get to it in a moment. Uh, Tony and Harley walk to the alley where they see the memorial with the five shadows and where Chad Davis, he's the guy who, who blew up and, uh, and uh, Harley talks to Tony about the wormhole and Tony has a freak out. Before we, uh, we jump into it. I read online and I love this observation uh, that someone pointed out. So there's five shadows on, on the wall, which represent the souls of the people who were killed by the one person in the middle. And someone had pointed out, you know, that that could very easily represent the Avengers, each of those shadows. And that Tony is the one that causes their death, which I think we see, do we see that in the Avengers? Is that where, or is it in Age of Ultron? It's Age of Ultron where he has that vision. Okay. So maybe maybe this is just foreshadowing. I don't know, but I thought that was a nice little uh, a little tidbit that that, you know, aside from the kid asking about New York so much that uh, that Tony has a yet another freak out and then uh ends up throwing a snowball at the kid because <laughs> he he has that line about like, Are you happy you made me freak out? Uh, which which is a funny line.
2: <laughs> Isn't this where we uh we find out you know, that the Mandarin is not who we thought he was. We're not there yet. No, not there yet. Uh, Because all we
1: see is, is the Mandarin sit down and uh, he has his hood removed. This is the scene prior. And he goes, let's do this. And so he's still real serious. So as far as we know, the Mandarin is the real guy. We don't find out who the Mandarin really is until, uh, until uh, like two thirds into the movie. But so uh, Tony has this freak out. They go to a bar or Tony goes into a bar to meet up with Chad's mom, figures out who uh, uh, this was the guy who uh, ended up, who blew himself up in the memorial. And so Chad's mom actually thinks uh, he is someone else. He, uh, 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 Chad's mom thinks he's, he's actually the woman Brant who ends up showing up, shows up later who claims to be with uh, Homeland Security. And, uh, and 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 Brant and and uh, uh, Brant is just there for a file that uh, about Chad that says missing in action on it. And uh, there's a little bit of confusion about did Tony ask her to file? No, it was really this woman, Brant, and so that's why they were meeting in the bar. And then a huge fight breaks out between Tony, uh, who is on his own, no suit. It's just him being him. Handcuffed, and this woman
2: Brant, who is filled with the extremist virus. I missed the part when she cuffed him. Was there actual video of her cuffing him? Because it just seemed like he magically appeared handcuffed. Uh, It
1: is super fast, but it is uh, it is after she introduces herself as Homeland uh, security, Tony says some quirk and she just kind of lifts him up, throws him on the table and handcuffs them. And then that's when the sheriff comes up and starts to ask what's going on here. You know, not in my jurisdiction, you know, let's talk, right. you know, let's call HQ and, and get this sorted out.
2: And then she killed him. So yeah, it is a very fast scene, but it happens in there. You know, when he first encounters her, outside the bar right outside the front you know they're walking past and she kind of bumps into him i don't know if that scene was supposed to make us think that tony suspected something odd about her or if he was just being tony and being enamored by a a cute girl i just thought that was a really strange little exchange it is also weird that she does not go into the bar she walks
1: past the bar Um, and I, I'd also like to to point out that with that character, uh, brand, um, she really on first watching to me. She really didn't play much of a role in that, in that, you know, why didn't they just use this guy, Eric, who they've already established is a henchman. Why are they introducing this new character later on in the story? We'll find out why, but, Tony ends up having this cool battle with her and, uh, and it just seemed like, why did they add another henchman when they could have used Eric?
2: Probably just needed a cute girl in the movie (laughs) with a bad haircut. Oh yeah. Big time. (laughs) Obviously a wig.
0: Well, it's really weird too, because, uh, her character, um, uh, the, the character of Ellen Brandt, uh, Actually, start out as a supporting character in Man Thing comics. It, it's always uh, amuses me to find out how they'll uh, they'll take you know old characters from you know old properties and kind of not necessarily shoehorn them in, but uh, um, but all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, if you're a huge comic book uh, you know geek, then you know you might you might pick up on some of these things. Uh, yeah, I certainly I I didn't until I did a tiny little bit of research for this.
2: Interesting. yeah that
1: that is a uh, that is a deep cut for a na- for a name, but it is nice that that it, it kind of e- exists uh, dur- during during the fight scene, you know, this is Tony having to fight without his suit and uh, he really kind of shows us that he uh, he can take care of himself even without the suit that he is he is trained enough that that uh, uh, well while, uh, while he depends on the suit, uh, uh, he can still. He can still fight. He and, can think uh, quick.
2: That, he's just he can think quick. Yeah, he's sharp. He's on his feet. He uh, uh, he also he also
1: has this great scene where he when he blows up Brant, um, and there's an explosion. He hides behind that refrigerator door for the ice machine, and after it happens, he carries that door around for for a couple beats, and he kind of mimics uh, Captain America a little bit when he's walking around holding the door. Because he's holding it
2: like a shield. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why didn't his legs get fried in that explosion? Because that little door was only from, like, waist up.
0: Yeah. Well you know I just do you ever uh, I, I do this with every single movie I ever watch where you sit there and watch this scene and, and you know how quick Tony's thinking with the you know the the, the gas the gas vein and the and the, the fire starting, and then all of a sudden he he finds the dog tags he throws him in the microwave you know he fires a microwave knowing that, that it's going to spark here in a few seconds it's like I, I think to myself all the time watching these movies if that was me I'd just be dead oh yeah <laughs> I, I just, there's, there's no way I'm, I'm thinking that quickly. Um, well, that's why he's you know, the smartest
2: so man on the planet. And you're not
0: good point, Brad. This is what I'm saying. Okay. That's right. Gold star to <laughs> you. Uh, so, uh,
2: uh,
1: so Tony ends up having a fight with, a uh, with Eric, uh, who ends up dropping that water tower, uh, using his, his, uh, heat hold. I guess that's what we'll call it. The, the hot hold. And he takes Harley. Um, uh, hostage and tells Tony, "Give me the file, or I'll kill the kid." And Tony reminds the kid about the uh, about the bully weapon he gives him, and that ends up saving the kid. And uh, Tony ends up uh, knocking uh, Eric on his butt, and he gets the file and him and the kid have a, have a very funny goodbye as Tony leaves town, uh, in a car. I'm cold. But, uh, I'm cold. We're connected. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Tony leaves town with the file and now he's, he's off to kind of figure out what's going on.
2: There's a really quick shot of him reaching down towards the unconscious bad guy, grabbing keys out of his pocket. So that's why, that's why he goes to that car. Cause obviously that's, the bad guy's car. Yeah. There's a lot of really quick things in this movie that if you're not paying attention to, you'll, you'll miss and you'll, you'll be like, how did he know to go to that car? Where did that car come from? Stuff like that.
1: (laughs) Um, so then we get to the, uh, to the Mandarin's broadcast. So now we see what, what, uh, was set up earlier, the Mandarin broadcast. And he tells president Ellis that he is going to kill this uh, oil executive. If he does not call right now, the president calls, which freaks out the Mandarin and he ends up shooting the executive anyway. Uh, guys, I need to, to for you to dive into this scene because, uh, did the Mandarin expect or did Killian expect for the president to call? Uh, what, what was going on in this scene?
0: That was such a great scene because as a terrorist um you're just sitting there going, the Mandarin knows that's win win um, he is absolutely back to the president in a corner, and there's no way for the president to look good um, which uh kind of echoes uh uh modern day i guess i mean modern day, like the last ten years or so uh, just there's nothing you can do that will make uh, the majority of people think, yeah, you did the right thing there, but you knew that um you knew the calling uh, was not going to work out well. And uh, you also knew that not calling was going to not work out well. So, uh, you know, interesting how someone does that calculus and decides that this is the lesser of two evils. Uh, you know. if nothing else, he, uh, he gets to keep his, uh, his Q rating high because uh, people think he's compassionate or some such.
1: The, um, uh, uh, the Mandarin to me, when I saw the scene, obviously to me, it looked like, that wasn't supposed to happen. What do I do? Um. See, I
2: didn't, I didn't get that at all. I mean, again, I've watched it twice in the last two days. So this, this little exchange here with and, and him shooting the guy, this presents the only problem that I really have with this movie. So I didn't. First off, I didn't take it that he was surprised. I just think. Okay, the guy called. Well, I'm going to be the big bad guy, and I'm going to shoot this guy anyway. So at this point, we really think the Mandarin's the real deal. So we all think that this guy's really dead. Well, when we find out later that he's just an actor, that makes me... Do Do we find that out later? Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. I was thinking about the oil executive. Continue. Yeah. When we find out that the Mandarin is really Trevor, he never once acts like oh my gosh i just shot a guy in the head so obviously he didn't really kill the oil executive and but they never follow up on that and they never they just kind of quick cut away from that scene altogether after he shoots the guy you know the president goes oh get james rhodes tell him to go find this guy right now do it right now and then that's really all that we see of that scene so
0: and that may be one of the few failings of uh, Shane Black in uh, Iron Man in Iron Man Three because you know they they could have they could have shown us in some way that uh, that Trevor knew that that was a uh, a pop gun or uh, with yeah. blanks or something, because I, I agree with you. A, a drunk actor, uh, I don't think would be okay with, uh, well, I'm just going to shoot this guy in the head on TV. Right. Uh, as part of my role. No, no, uh, a human's not going to do that.
2: He even says no one died, man. It's just all right. stage tricks. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So, so clearly they never really did kind of Trevor. follow up with that.
0: Yeah. So, so Trevor didn't think he was, uh, killing him or, or, again, uh, my guess was, and, you know, that's one, one thing that I failed at was I did not go and take a look at any of the extras on the Iron Man 3 disc. And it always makes me wonder, do they explain, you know, little, little, you know, nagging, you know, details like that. Um, I know they do on many extras uh, uh, discs. I, I don't know if they did on this one. But yeah, what what got left? You know, I I don't think I've ever gone back and looked at any um, uh, deleted scenes that might have been cut out of the movie. So who knows? Maybe they uh, maybe they explained it
2: on Disney Plus. Do they have like the extras from like the discs?
0: I have heard that they do. um, uh, I just
2: opened Disney Plus on my TV, and I'm calling up Iron Man 3. I think I remember seeing something like extras were available, but I never went to look at them. So I'm going to go look right now and see. And, and, uh,
1: Brad, while you're doing that, uh, I'm curious. Do they they offer commentary, too? I'm going to look. I just recently signed up for uh, Disney Plus
2: just probably Wednesday of this week. So that's why the movie is so fresh for me. uh, Okay. There are, Oh, look at this. There's, um, there is several, let's see, there are deleted scenes. Um, there's a Marvel one shot agent Carter. I think apparently that Marvel one shot showed up on, um, the Iron Man three disc. Uh, there's some deleted scenes. There's outtakes of Trevor's accents. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think I think if I remember correctly, Rhodey says, "Can you do this kind of accent? Can you do that kind of accent?" And he kind of goes through that. But yeah, there's some there's some deleted scenes. Oh, view scenes from a deleted storyline involving Harley's bully. So, yeah, Ooh. they do. Oh, they, oh wow, they okay. do have some extras apparently from the disc on um, on Disney Plus. So that's neat.
1: Uh, so we just finished a scene with. with uh, uh with the Mandarin, which uh, as a viewer of the movie for the first time, we still think he's a big bad. That's right. Tony, Tony is still driving down the road. Uh, he discovers that that this uh, soldier, whose name first Chad Davis, uh, what he originally thought was uh, missing an action written on the piece of paper, turns out it's actually aim. It was just written backwards, which is such a nice detail. On I thought back, that was yeah. so
2: good. The ink had soaked through from the back side of the page.
1: Yeah. Um, which which shows that, you know, AIM is involved with this. Um, While while Tony's driving, the Iron Patriot is traveling around the world trying to find Mandarin. Uh, And uh, Tony ends up at a, um, at a beauty pageant in a small town. And he incorporates the help of a super fan to uh, help him get information uh, on AIM and use it with Rhodey's help, which do you
2: guys remember Rhodey's uh, password? a war machine rocks <laughs> with the, the X <laughs> that guy, Gary in the van, Gary's van. That uh-huh. guy, that guy's pretty funny.
1: He was in the show called happy endings, uh-huh. uh, which you, if you've never seen, it was a, it was a short lived ABC sitcom. Uh, it's only about two or three seasons. It's, it's worth a watch. It's pretty funny. But, uh, so, uh, So this whole scene in the van uh, with Tony downloading the information from the extremists, we, we actually see Tony gets information about what's been going on, how they've been recruiting broken soldiers and trying to give them a second chance. This is where we see Ellen Brandt had actually lost an arm. And so she got the drug and her arm grew back. That's why... We saw her uh, in the scene so we could see that what the extremist virus does and that's even going to play a part later on with the vice president, but we're not there yet. Right. Um, uh, Why, why this is important and why it's all connected. But so Tony finally gets information about, about what uh, AIM is up to. And, uh, and we also get our uh, Stan Lee cameo.
2: Yeah, it was a quick, probably the most useless Stan Lee cameo of any movie.
0: It makes you wonder if Shane Black was just tired of Stan Lee's crap.
2: <laughs> Who knows?
0: I'm kidding. I, that's a I'm kidding, kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. <laughs> like, okay, fine, Stan, I'll find something for you. Geez, stand here for a second, okay? All right, now we're done. Okay, Stan, you can go. Uh,
1: that
0: back to that, Keller with you.
1: Um but, uh, that whole scene with the super fan I thought was was pretty fun and it It shows a little bit of Tony's growth, too, if you think about it. So when Tony meets Killian at the beginning of the movie, he's very, you know, he he jabs with him. He he says, hey, I'm going to help you out. You know, let's meet on the roof later. Uh, And he dismisses him. But Tony actually incorporates with this guy who looks up to him and he goes, I need your help. Here's what I need to do instead of just like dismissing him. Uh, which I think shows growth in the character because it, this guy, you know, he has a tattoo of a Hispanic Scott Bayo on his arm. <laughs> he, he, uh, uh, he idolizes Tony to where he gets his look and it, it's kind of a cute scene, but I think it also shows Tony's growth,
2: either his growth or his desperate need of help from somebody and his ability to deal with nonsense. From a fan, which it is, yeah, which it is not. <clears throat> I mean, the guy patterned his tattoo after his, the doll that he made. <laughs> you know, if I'm a celebrity and I see a, somebody with a tattoo that's obviously supposed to be me, but he patterned it after a doll that he made of me, <laughs> that I would be freaking out a little bit.
1: Um. So after this scene, we go back to Pepper and uh, uh, Maya uh, in a hotel room, I suppose. And Killian shows up and peppers just trying to, to, uh, you know, telling Maya to, to no, run for yourself or run, save yourself. And it it turns out that Maya may have been behind all this, uh, getting Tony's involved in this storyline because she tells Killian that's like, no, we need Tony's help. He can figure out extremists. We need him we're going to use pepper as leverage. And this is where we see that Maya is not, is not a victim in this.
0: Yeah. In fact, uh, I think it's really interesting. Uh, maybe we could, we pick us up a little bit, a uh, little bit more towards the end of the podcast if necessary. But, um, uh, um, the role that, that, um, Rebecca Hall has in this movie was not the role that was basically originally planned for. Um, uh, she was intended to have a much, much larger role. Um, and, uh, a lot of it was left on the cutting room floor. I don't know if you guys have read up on that or not.
2: Nope.
0: Um, the, uh, uh early draft of Iron Man three, um, uh, female character was the villain in the draft. Um, they had finished the script and Rebecca Hall signed on, um, Uh, she, uh, she said in interviews that, uh, that her arc was to be the villain and then to, uh, uh, have kind of that, that Kylo Ren moment where she kind of comes back over to the light side and sacrifices herself. And, um, that was kind of how her arcs was play out. But apparently, uh, and I, I don't think we've ever been told, you know, names, but, uh, the, the quote is, um, uh, Rebecca Hall says, uh, all I'll say is this on the record. There was an early draft of Iron Man 3 where we had an inkling of a problem, which is that we had a female character as the villain in the draft. We had finished the script, and we're given a no-holds-barred memo saying we, that cannot stand, and we've changed our minds because after consulting, we've decided that toy won't sell as well if it's a female. So we had to change the entire script because of toy making. That's and and, uh, if- and it, well, she says, that's one hundred percent true. I've been gagging to talk about it with someone, but I haven't had the opportunity, weirdly. So,
1: so, uh, so I, I know we we all kind of kind of balk at that about the whole toy sales stuff, but uh, um, it, it, it is well stated that you know merchandising is a huge part of uh, the Marvel universe, and while the movies may make a billion dollars, the toys make. <laughs> $3 billion. $2 toys, billion. Toys, are,
2: toys are the driving factor behind this. Never forget that. Well, yeah. even, yeah, even the original Secret Wars comic book, the 12-issue Secret Wars, that all stemmed out of the desire to sell toys.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah, a lot of people think it's uh, simply a reaction to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, as we, we've talked about many times before. It's it's interesting, and maybe we, uh, maybe I should do some research, and we should do a podcast on this at How DC and Marvel ape each other as far as the the way they mess with their their entire universes and the timing of those things. Uh, you know, it doesn't take uh, uh, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to uh, to read Marvel and DC comics and realize, wait a minute, you're both kind of making the same the same creative shifts at the same times and you're kind of doing the same things. It's just really weird. It's, it's, you know, I, I don't know. Is it, is it because there's, there's buys or because it's just natural or because they flat out look at each other and go, yep. Yeah.
2: I would love for you to do the research on that and lead us through that discussion sometime. That would be fantastic.
0: I need to write that down. I'm going to do that right now. Yeah, um, so uh, Rebecca Hall um, says, uh, quote, I signed on to do something that's a, a substantial role, wasn't entirely the villain, and there have been several phases of this, uh, talking about the, the script, but I signed on to do something very different to what I ended up doing. So halfway through shooting, they're basically like, well, what would you think if you just got shot out of nowhere? And Rebecca says, I was meant to be in the movie until the end. I grappled with them for a while, and I said, well, you have to give me a decent death scene, you have to give me one more scene with Iron Man, which Robert Downey Jr. supported her on so, um, uh, very interesting that uh, it took them five. Well, I mean, it took them way too damn long, but it took them under five years to realize that they could uh, uh, they could have uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson or Brie Larson, you know, carry a movie. Um, uh, thank goodness! I, I've never I've never understood. Kind of in the same way where I never understood. Hey, what do you mean? Uh, someone who's only six one can't be a, a good linebacker in the NFL? It's like why? Why would you think a lady is going to be, you know, why do you think the audience is going to turn their back on a lady as a, as, as a a major character or a lead or something? I just, maybe I'm naive, um, but I've never, ever, ever understood that.
2: I'm sure those Aldrich Killian action figures just flew off the shelf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, well,
2: and and don't
1: remember that that most of Hollywood is, is guy driven and and male driven, and so you know all all their thinking from their perspective, and and you know it's just like well, it's always been a guy, so. We'll keep it as a guy. So, I mean, that, that has something to do with it as well. And,
0: and to Shane Black's... Uh, so nobody nobody dumps on Shane Black over this. Shane Black was the one who brought her on board. Shane Black was the one who wanted her to be, uh, uh, if not the big bad, to have that massive screen presence. And Shane Black was the one who had to fight with Marvel as they said, nope, you cannot do that. And it makes me real interested um, because we have thought for a long time that... Uh, show me one thing that Kevin Feige ever did that was wrong outside of maybe the dark world Um, but you know was it did somebody above Kevin Feige you know uh, uh, say nope Um, and it makes you wonder if this would have happened um, uh, was this oh god I'm just blanking uh, was this before or after uh, Disney took him over because Disney has certainly had a, a long storied career of having females in a lead role Sleeping Beauty
2: I don't remember the timeline. Um, I, it, my,
0: my uh, thought,
2: so it was a few years before
1: force awakens. Uh, so, uh, my, yeah,
0: my thought is that Marvel, uh, did not, or that Marvel was not owned by Disney at this point, but I could be entirely wrong. Um, if so, that means that, that some, some dumbass at Marvel thought now, nah, man, a woman will never sell. Come on, give me a break. Like, it's, I'm, I'm not usually one to cry out misogyny, but, uh, that, that certainly seems, um, uh, pretty obvious.
1: <laughs> uh, so in the next scene, Tony and is talking to Harley and Jake uh, and Jarvis and trying to get the suit back up and running. Tony has another freak out and uh, and Harley reminds Tony that he is a mechanic and he needs to do what he does best, which causes Tony to uh, go to a hardware store and home alones it. He makes a whole <laughs> bunch of gadgets yeah it's good uh, stuff uh to, this leads tony i'm gonna i'm just gonna go up to to the reveal tony breaks into the compound yeah. where the mandarin is and then the twist is revealed
2: yeah that i, I remember being just flabbergasted in the movie the first time i saw it i was like what is going on here caught me off guard
1: uh uh in retrospect i love you know I, at the time in the movie i loved it i thought
2: that was such a great great twist yeah absolutely and ben kingsley this is probably my favorite thing ben kingsley's ever done um he's just so <laughs> funny in this movie just so funny his timing is perfect
1: the, uh, uh, this movie has a very, uh, during this scene, There is a small scene that, uh, makes me laugh. So the Mandarin comes out of the bathroom.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. The,
1: and, and the party girls are in the bed and he goes, "Whoo! don't go in there for 20 minutes. Later in the scene, Tony forces the, the party girls to go in there and you can hear the girls go, Ooh, Oh it's yeah.
2: Deep. Yeah. As soon but as they open the door, they're <laughs> like, Oh Yes, But it's under,
1: but you, you know, it, unless you have the captions on, you're going to miss it. Uh, yeah, I it's thought fantastic. that was great. A great joke. It's absolutely great. Because you can see that coming from a mile away too. It's like, oh yeah. no. It
0: it's reminds good, me of that, that bit happens.
2: in the movie uh, Friday where the John uh, Witherspoon says, don't nobody go into the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. <laughs> um, I'm sure that was a nod to that. So
1: yeah, I mean, maybe
2: it was. But uh, the way that uh,
1: uh, we get the Mandarin's backstory about he was just a washed up actor, he was doing drugs, he was addicted to alcohol and stuff. These guys took him in, did some plastic surgery, said, you know, you play this role, we'll take care of all your needs, and he was down with it. And he is such a miserable character uh, in real life, (laughs) the Mandarin. When When he's not acting, he
2: is just an utter disaster. I remember a lot of fanboy outrage after this movie when uh, on this big reveal cuz they you know we've been expecting the Mandarin to be a, a big player in the Iron Man universe ever since it was hinted at in the very first Iron Man and now we get this that Mandarin's absolutely nothing he's just a big fake Oh, I'm so angry angry angry
0: Oh no it's it's well, right but, up there with uh it's right up there with Ray being uh, the parents of nobody's
2: so
1: but the Mandarin exists because we're getting that new Disney show uh with
2: uh, uh well, with the martial arts guy The 10 Rings Banksy. exist not necessarily the Mandarin the 10 Rings exist Okay
0: Where um, did I read that um that they somebody said that uh they were considering bring the the actual Mandarin on the the one who might come out of the shadows of this 10 Rings and go Dude, that freaking actor you impersonated with kind of pissed me off. And, and so then, now I am I am here, the real Mandarin, to make life tough for all of you.
2: You know, later well, at, at well, the end of this like, movie, K- Killian even calls himself the Mandarin. He's like, I'm the Mandarin. I'm the real guy. Uh, so he's maybe he's even posing. And, he, and he, you know, he does
1: choose to get those, those dragon tattoos. So, I mean, we don't know.
0: Interesting. Is okay. it uh, – I don't want to be weird, but would it be at all racist uh, to have a uh, Asian gentleman or, or lady play the Mandarin in real
1: life? I mean, it, it depends how you display it. You know, if you're going to go all, um, you know um, what sort I'm looking for those old detective movies. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you, uh, Fu Manchu, can't you know, if you chew it then. Yeah. Uh, but no, if I mean, if you do it with respect and you know, the Chinese yeah. market is a huge market. Uh they're not gonna do that. They're they're gonna they're gonna treat it with respect. Yes. Uh, let's move clearly. forward so we can because we've been Brad, how long have you been recording?
2: Um we're over an hour and a half at oh, this point. Oh, let's keep moving. Okay. You're let's uh, let's wrap nope. it up
1: towards the uh, we'll move forward. Uh let's see, I left off at okay, we find out who the Mandarin is. Uh Maya and Tony uh and Killian have a monologue scene. Maya at the last second tries to do the right thing. Uh, and say pepper but uh uh but uh killian ends up just shooting her anyway this must Iron be Patriot- the scene
2: that bill referred to where right. where the actress said she wanted one final scene with tony and it's a good scene too and, there, and it, it there is a an extended version of the scene uh in the deleted scene extras that i'm looking at okay. right now yeah
1: and and she does try to do do the right thing in that, like, look, if you don't let Pepper go, I'll kill myself. And then, Killian, you're going to die because you need me. And Killian's just like, no, I got this. I don't need you. Shoot. Shoot, yeah. shoot, shoot, bullet, bullet, dead, dead. Uh, Rhodey is forced out of the uh, Iron Patriot suit and uh, uh, tries to escape. But Killian breathes fire. <laughs>
2: That's the, That was one of the Awesomest scenes in this movie and even Rhodey goes oh you uh you breathe fire Now <laughs> And even his right hand man looks at Him surprised like oh I didn't know we could Do that that's yeah. pretty awesome yeah.
1: And I love that 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 power is never revealed Again just in that one scene And just Rhodey's just like Look this guy's a breathing fire Forget this Um Tony fights some baddies uh, uh, as his suit slowly starts to come together. And we end up with, I'm sure you guys love this line too, one of my favorite lines where there's only one henchman left. And he goes, look, honestly, I hate working here. These guys are weird. Yeah. And Tony lets them go.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love it. uh,
0: That is my favorite single moment of the movie. These guys are so weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is great. (laughs) <laughs> okay, we are about to get to maybe the best scene in this movie. I don't know about you guys, but I love the scene. Uh, Tony and Rhodey end, uh, team up to save the president from the hijacked Iron Patriot. Uh, it's revealed that the vice president has been working with Kill- Killian by, uh, by not calling out the Air Force to save Air Force One. And we, it's revealed. I assume it's the vice president's daughter who is missing a leg. Yeah, I believe who, so. Which you put this all together, and they show it. They don't tell you that. Oh,
2: the vice president's behind all of this. Killian makes a makes a reference to. Um, he said uh, later on, in the, you know, in the big ending movie, he 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 makes a reference to. He says, "I found a better political partner than you, Mr. President," <laughs> and he's referring to the vice president.
1: Uh, so does anyone have uh, insight on the saving of the people out of the uh, Air Force one uh, how much of it was CG did they attempt to do any of it with these guys wearing you know parachutes underneath their clothes uh, any insight on this because is it is an amazing scene
0: Parachutes I just assume they actually tossed all those people out of an airplane
2: <laughs> I've not heard anything about the production of it but obviously it was... It was, I had to suspend my disbelief a little bit for this, for this movie. Now I didn't think it was neat that he said out loud, I'm going to, uh, electrify your arm. So your hand doesn't open. Yeah. Well, how does he do it? How does he do it for the last guy in the end of the barrel of monkeys chain? You know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that, that scene to me, uh, uh, you know, uh, even if, even if it's, you, you know, which I'm sure it is, and just all the CG in it. I just thought it was very well choreographed and so much fun. And just like, just the stakes are so high and just how it ends. It, it ends with the nice button of a joke where, you know, all the people are saved. They're all, they all wave, hey, <laughs> thanks Iron Man. <laughs> and then, you know, Iron Man is hit by a truck which it turns out uh, uh, Tony yeah. was controlling remotely. Yeah, that's crazy. Which,
2: yeah. I was shocked. Which is, which is another cool moment. I was super shocked when that happened.
1: Uh, so now we are towards the close to the final scene. Rhodey and Tony tried to save Pepper and the president from uh, being killed, uh, but then all the Iron Men show up, and they fight all the extremist soldiers, and it's fight, 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 fight. And uh, and I don't know about you, but uh, I got really excited when I saw Igor, which I think we were all calling the Hulkbuster at the time. Uh, but this is a very, very cool scene.
2: Yeah, I loved him going in and out of the multiple suits. You know, when he would, Jarvis, give me a suit, and he'd jump off, and the one would catch him, and he'd... He'd fight a bad guy, and that suit would get destroyed. Then he'd run and jump and gear, go get into another suit, and I thought that was really well. This is that second uh, action sequence that I was referring to. You know this this whole action sequence. I could watch this action sequence over and over and over. It's just incredibly well done. I thought a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: I think um, uh, it's really cool how this movie uh, uh, the. The issue, and I think the MCU is, is not as, as prone to this as, as many other movie uh, factories are, but uh, the idea that the third movie uh, by this point has become so big and bloated that it's just almost unrecognizable as the original property, um, that doesn't really happen here. Um, I don't think Shane Black goes too big, too you know, too blustery, too too bold uh, with this movie. Um, I you know, this is certainly a far cry from, you know, Spider-Man 3. Um, you know, they, they, they keep everything uh, contained. And, uh, man, you know, what a great action sequence they do give us at the end there. Uh, just, I just, I love the whole idea of it being there in the shipping yard. And the, and all, and like you said, him jumping into all those suits is just amazing. I, I need to look at the, uh, the making of to find out how they actually did that kind of stuff. Besides just hanging on wires in a, in a green room.
2: You know, having watched it twice in the last two days, it I, I can say that I've gained an appreciation for this movie that I never had, um, especially in light of the fact that I can understand the plot now. You know, I remember watching okay. this movie thinking, "Well, why are they doing this?" All of a sudden, the movie felt very disjointed when I first watched it. You know, years ago, because there was so much happening, and um, you know, there was a bits of dialogue I missed here and there. Like I remember thinking, "Well, why are they in this?" Um, why are they capturing the president? Why are they in this, you know, oil tanker area? What what all this is going on? Well, why is this happening? And, you know, after seeing it, I can see all the pieces click together, especially with those bits of dialogue I missed. You know, a lot of what he's doing on the outside is to cover what he's doing on, you know, a lot of what he's doing as, quote unquote, the Mandarin is to cover what he really wants to do as uh, Adrian Kiliic or Aldrich Killian. I I messed up both names. You know, I just think I think it was well done, you know, and it it only took like four viewings of the movie for me to finally get it, which could be argued that that's a problem to begin with. Yes, I fully acknowledge that. But, you know, like a lot of movies, you watch them over and over again and you learn something that you miss the first time. And um, this just happens to be one of those movies that I really enjoyed upon multiple viewings.
1: Um, so close to the final scene, Tony thinks Pepper has died and he has nothing to lose at this point. So him and Killian just go at it, but then there's a twist. She's actually still alive. Thanks to the extreme virus, extremist virus. And she ends up killing Killian, uh, Tony says, enough is enough. And much mirroring the earlier part of the movie, there's fireworks and the Iron Ironman suits blowing up. And it's like Tony says, you know what? I'm going to start off as a new man. I'm done being Iron Man. Uh, he saves Pepper by uh, getting rid of the extremist virus. He has the shard of metal pulled out of his heart by Dr. Wu, who we met at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, I that missed that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, that piece of metal is actually used as a necklace that he ends up giving to Pepper. And Harley gets a cool new lab with uh, with Fios high-speed internet.
2: <laughs> yeah, nothing like a little product placement <laughs> there at the end, huh?
1: Right. And Tony, um, Tony ends up on the shores of where his house used to be, throws away his heart, and uh, climbs into his car with Dummy. And they go for a road trip credits.
2: Proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Yes. I just learned recently that that whole scene of him at the end on the cliff where his house used to be, that was not Robert Downey Jr. at all. That was a body double. He had previously injured his ankle earlier in the movie and was unable to get out and film that scene. So they they digitally replaced his face. On a body double in all those uh, all those outdoor scenes at the end of the movie. Oh, I did not realize that that was digital. I remember
1: he did break his leg or ankle. You said ankle, but, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, that was a uh-oh. body double who did a really good job. I went back to rewatch that scene knowing that that was not actually Tony's uh, 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 Robert Downey Jr. walking, and the guy whoever did it did a really great job getting his walk and his mannerisms and all that. And the the CG to replace his face was really well done.
1: Golly, I've never known it.
2: Well, I, I had no idea.
1: <laughs> um, this also, uh, this scene, you know, p- puts a bow on on Iron Man himself. This could very well have been the last ever Iron Man movie because pretty much he, he has washed his hands of, of being Iron Man at, at the end of this movie. So uh, so I think they did a great job, maybe not knowing what the future held for the uh, MCU at that point. uh, But just kind of putting a capper on, um, on the iron man story arc from the three movies and everything else he had been in.
2: And then when he showed up in the first Spider-Man movie, you know, a lot of people were, I don't know if they were halfway serious or even kind of joking that, that they considered that to be iron man four at that point. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, whether it is or not,
1: I I, I don't know. But you know, uh, thank thank goodness that you know the Iron Man that uh, Tony agreed to stay to stay Iron Man uh, a bit longer, and and we got just just the wonderful Infinity War uh, movies.
0: Yes, it makes you wonder if they uh, if they had that that initial arc for him, you know, through the Infinity War in mind the whole time. Like do your uh, do your third movie, Tony? Um, you know, maybe make a cameo appearance in a couple of movies, and then uh, we're going to bring you back uh, for your for your big uh, the big goodbye. You know, it's going to take two and a half
2: movies to tell. By the way, my takeaway from watching this movie again, you know, years later after it first came out, was that it's a really good Iron Man movie. I mean, you know, we see we see Tony go. You know, from the top to the bottom, back to the top again, and uh, you know, at least as far as his mental state, uh, I, it really just kind of makes him a more well-rounded character. I think seeing him having to, like Frank said, home alone his way out of situations. You know, he's he's more than just the 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 armor. You know, he and I think at this point it it really helps him realize that he is more than just the armor, and. I think it just put a nice cap on his character and um, I would just anybody that's listening. if you haven't watched it since it came out, give it another shot. I think it's really worth watching again. Well, we have, we have
1: one more scene to talk about. And uh, you know, after we have that very dynamic credit scene with uh, it's like 1970s graphics, we have the post credit scene. Oh, that's right. Where Tony, it turns out Tony has been talking to Bruce this whole time, Bruce Banner and Tony, uh, you know, Tony caps his story at the end of it. Turns out Bruce had nodded off and he, he goes, look, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm not that kind of doctor. I'm not a therapist. And so Tony decides to restart the story, but going back to when he was 14 years old. So I, I read some theories online and you have to, you have to tell me what you think about this. Being that Tony was telling this story, that means that, is he a reliable, uh, is he a reliable narrator? Are we actually hearing what really happened? Did he really learn a lesson at the end? Because this is a recount. It's, it's, uh, uh, from Tony to Bruce.
2: Uh, What do you guys think of that? I'm going to say yes, because if I say no, that's going to open up an entire new wormhole that I refuse (laughs) to go down. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: I think you've answered your own question. I I think that uh, it's uh, at best it's um, it's realistic.
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was the post credit scene for this movie. But that that concludes Iron Man three.
2: Again, I would it's highly fantastic. recommend going back to watch it again if you haven't. How long has it been? How many years? Uh, I saw it in theaters and
1: maybe when it came out on DVD. So it came out seven years ago. So probably six years since I've seen it.
0: It did probably have been two or three years since I've seen it. it. It's always struck me as one of my one of my my favorite kind of quiet moments in the MCU. Something that didn't really have a lot to do with anything else. Well, uh, pretty dis movie for the, uh, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I did find uh, upon opening the uh, the Blu-ray um, for the tape this morning, I, I found something that, that that alarmed me and uh, shocked me to my core. Something that I failed to... Uh, to um, oh, now I know why I did it. It's because it's for uh, iPhone. But um, uh, you all can't see it out there in TV land, but, uh, but this insert into the Blu-ray package, um, this is for... Uh, you can redeem this and now have access to Jarvis, a second screen experience. You can now access Jarvis on your iPad or iPhone to enable him to wake you up, alert you to emails, voicemails, and more. And I am I am I am I beside myself. I am I am so angry with myself that uh, that's the reason to get an iPhone, apparently. I've had an Android, so <laughs> My guess is that I must have looked at this when I first got the Blu-ray and said, well, nope, don't have an iPhone, so never mind. And uh, son of a gun, I want Jarvis telling me that I've got an incoming email.
2: So (laughs) I bet that that offer has expired by now anyway. Yeah, chances
0: are good. Uh, It doesn't have uh, have an expiration date on it per se, but it does say, Redeem Today, Do Not Discard. You can also get a free Marvel poster or and, and a read a free Iron Man digital comic. Um, yeah, I got the code right here. One, un, one code unlocks it all. Um, my goodness. So I, uh, I missed the boat on that one. Dang it.
1: Well, okay. Well, guys, I I hope you all enjoyed this uh, walk down memory lane for yeah, Iron did. Man three. I, did. I mean, the next yeah the next movie we're gonna cover in the same manner is Force Awakens.
2: Yeah, we have and, not. Uh, there was a, a a time when we missed. You know, we didn't record a lot, and we missed several movies uh, that we never did really do a proper movie review episode, and the first of those. Is going to be uh, the Force Awakens, and uh, we're going to handle it just like we did this one—kind of breaking down scenes
1: and talking about them and and uh, and stuff like that. So we'd love to hear from you guys too. We'd like to know what you think about this. Uh, remember, we are the last uh, podcast out there that's commercial-free. We accept no ads uh, at all. So stop asking. Uh, so stop asking. We will always stay free unless we get a fantastic offer. <laughs> but that being said, thank you for listening to A Half Hour Wasted. Uh, you can reach us at halfhourwasted at gmail.com. Go ahead and tweet at us at halfhourwasted. Tell us what you think about this episode. And with that said, this is a very tired Frank.
0: I'm Brad. And I'm I'm a, a not-so-tired Bill because I've just had a half-gallon of uh, Dr. Pepper.
1: And we'll we'll see you next time on half hour wasted.